Shopify helps you sell at every stage of your business. Like that, let's put it online and see what happens stage. And the site is live. That we opened a store and need a fast checkout stage. Thanks, you're all set. That count it up and ship it around the globe stage. This one's going to Thailand. And that, wait, did we just hit a million orders stage? Whatever your stage, businesses that grow, grow with Shopify. Sign up for your $1 a month trial at shopify.com slash listen. My name's Adam Gumpertz. I am a lot of things, apparently. Um, I'm a, a vicar, an artist, a uh, very um, frustrated drummer, um, and um, passionate about people, community, mental health. Um, yeah, that's me. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Welcome to this week's Driven Chat Podcast. It is lovely to have you here. As you've just heard, we have Adam with us. Uh, we also have Amy Shaw. Hi. How are you? Very well, thank you. How are you? Good. Cold. Amy Shaw, what are you? If I'm uh, lots of things, what are you? Just a photographer. I just take just, the pictures. Just. <laughs> just a little photographer. John Marker, what are you? Yeah, that's a good question, actually. Because uh, do you know what? Recently, because for ages on my Instagram bio and on my Twitter bio, I always started it with saying "not a professional anything." Because for ages, I've just been saying, "Look, I don't. I'm not really anything. I just blag my way through scenarios and life." And then a guest. I'm not going to mention his name because he he almost told me off. Uh, but a guest we recently featured on our podcast. We we've since spoken. We met up at a car event, and he said, "You really have to change that because you you do do things." You are a bit more of a thing than just a not a professional anything. So I've changed my bio to a writer, producer, and waffler. Uh, so that's what I am. That's what I do. I write things, I produce things, and I waffle about cars. Uh, Join our club of being many things. Though. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I think the be- yeah. all the best people are many things. And possibly, and th- this is a good life lesson for anyone that's at that crucial time where they're like, oh, gosh, I don't know what I want to be when I grow up, or I don't know what my next career move should be. It doesn't matter if you don't know, because I still haven't got a clue. No. I'm still growing up, really. Oh, oh so, yes. Yeah. 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 So no, it's um, good to be many things. But I think people do that, don't they? They go through, gone are the days where you had one job for the whole of your life. Oh, you now yeah, yeah, yeah. kind of do various things. Yeah, and it's almost, I think, a bit too much weight put on to certain generations to be expected to like pick a job when you're 16 and you're going to do yeah. that and learn to do that and stay with it forever and ever. It's like, I mean, just looking at, obviously, done my, and we've known each other now since, what, 20 13, 14, a long time yeah, a ago long now. Time. But it's funny because I still like to make sure that I know, you know, more more than what I thought I <laughs> did about us. you. I'm just stalking you a little bit. <laughs> and looking at your own career, you've not just been a vicar for forever. And you, you've done, your own career has perhaps between many things, you've retrained before but in, in different things. So where, I suppose the, the first question would be, where did, where did it all begin? <laughs> where did it all begin? <laughs> In the dark mists of time. Um, I think, um, like any, um, particularly any, te- uh, any small child, I was fascinated by, particularly about, about, by cars and by planes. And, um, and I, one of my earliest memories is, is kind of walking down the road with my dad and um, down a, a street with all these cars parked on it. And just with my eye following the different lines of the cars as we walk down. It's one of my earliest moments. It makes me sound quite sad, really. Um, but, it, um, yeah, looking at these shapes. And, um, and I was fascinated by them. And, um, and I, I think I have been, you know, although I've done different things. So I, um, 
I think one of the kind of ongoing themes for my whole kind of life story is this um, seeming conflict between faith and cars and, and could they coexist and, um, and, and now I'm actually working out what they do look like when they coexist. But, but, but there were times where I kind of said, no, I'm going to go and do something that, that I thought was worthy and, and, you know, so I went off to train to be a psychiatric nurse when I was uh, 19. Hmm. And um, but I'd always loved drawing cars, always, always. And in fact, I, it's the only thing I could draw. Uh, my parents used to take us out on family sketching days because my parents were both quite arty, and everybody would sit in the field drawing worthy things like trees and <laughs> landscapes, and I'd sit in the car park drawing cars. <laughs> and my parents would say, "You know, can't you draw anything other than cars?" I'm like, "No, sorry, can't." <laughs> um, so that's always been there as well, and it wasn't really until my mid-twenties that I went to university at, at Cov Uni, um, stone's throw from here, mm. and, um, uh, and studied to be a car designer. So, yeah, but I think lots of people do. They kind of, you were saying, weren't you, that, you know, when we're 16, 17, not everybody knows what they want to do. No, And right. so there's a great deal of kind of experimenting and trying stuff and... Um, yeah, and I'm probably still doing that. <laughs> well, I, I think if anybody kind of settles into what they're doing for too long, it's very easy to get either complacent or bored or... I mean, if, to be content is always good, but, like, I know that myself, with the photography, I've been doing it for a very long time now, and I kind of get to a point now even that I'm like, ooh, it might be nice to go and not do something else because I, I do feel like I will always be a photographer but like doing for example this podcast that we've been doing now for almost mm. two years I guess it is like this is a complete avenue I didn't expect to take my career down mm. and also with now the the Jaguar workshop I had no idea I was going to do that but that's it's those things that you kind of retrain or learn to do as a grown-up that you think this is making my life more exciting I feel this is adding to my life rather than just staying in the same job which I may love I might really adore but by staying in the same job doing the same thing forever and ever might be something that people think oh I don't I don't know if I'd like to if I'd like to do that for the whole of my life I'd like to try a few different things and people don't always have the confidence to think actually yes I'm going to try and do something else so I mean for you Adam what point did it go from psych uh, psychiatric nurse to car design um it was when I kind of had my first brush with with mental health issues for myself really so I I very quickly worked out that I could never leave stuff at the end of a shift you know, I was always worrying about it and mm -hmm. ringing the ward back at three in the morning going, um, and, um, and this kind of grew and grew and grew to a crisis point, really. And um, I had one night where I, I was literally pounding the walls with my fists because I wanted to hurt myself so I didn't have to go to work the next day. And when you kind of get to that point, you think, ah, something's got to give, really. Mm -hmm. um, and, um, and so I... I left nursing and I kind of, I spent a year working for a, um, a classic car specialist, um, really as a glorified T-boy and car valeter, because <laughs> um, I was terrible at mechanics. I kept cross-threading everything, you know, <laughs> which is fine if it's just like one little bolt on something small, and but when it's a, a sump um, on an engine, you kind of really, yeah, it's not good. Um, and then... But I kept the drawing going, mainly for me, really, just to kind of give myself something to to do and to feel kind of positive about. Mm -hmm. And um, I, uh, somebody said, well, you ought to 
see where this would take you because you know you're quite good at it you know so have a look and I'd always thought about being a car designer always wanted to you know bought car magazines since I was tiny you know and, and just used to pour over the drawings and and the, the renderings in car magazines and um and so I um I kind of went to Coventry on an open day and um and then went for an interview and the guy doing the interview didn't give anything away during the whole course of the interview and I showed him some work that I'd kind of spent some time putting together and at the end of it I, I said you know do you think it's it's worth me applying and he went no and I thought oh, fair oh. enough he said you've got a place now get your form in um so um yeah so and, and that was amazing that kind of felt like a real um because you I think it must be the same with photography or any kind of creative endeavor you put yourself out there and you never know whether it's going to be kind of appreciated or mm. or to a standard whereby people go actually you can make something more serious out of this i think a lot of creatives as well they're, they're huge self-critics aren't they so oh. you'll produce everything whether you're taking a photograph or writing an article or producing a video or sketching a piece and you'll always look at it and you'll see every single fault and flaw and go oh what a load of rubbish i'll just screw it up and throw it away yeah but then of course from the outside world everyone else looks at it and goes wow amazing thing you've created but i suppose that's the funny thing about as you said creative people is that we almost <sighs> frustratingly need that external validation because mm. as you said we are our own worst critics and therefore there must be a closer link between creativity and mental health because I think we are very self um what's, what's like a word where you look in on yourself all the time very um introspective yes introspective that's the word um and I don't know if other kind of ways of thinking are similar to that I don't know I'm a creative yeah. person I've only ever been introspective I guess but I guess it's for me, there's there's something about the actual doing of it, mm -hmm. and not just the end result. Mm. Um, and and so often, I think in in society, we concentrate on the end result of everything. You know, this is the end result. This is the number of followers I have, or this is the the finished piece. And actually, sometimes the the actual journey of how you got there is more important than what you did at the end. Mm -hmm. um, because I've done bits of work where actually, on the end. Yeah, it was okay, but I really enjoyed the process of doing it, and for me that was really important. My my biggest problem is I suffer crippling self doubt, and so I, you know, like we said, I'll I'll do something and I'll just look at it and go, nah, rubbish. Or other people's work is always at a much higher standard than mine, and you're forever, you know. And people say, oh, don't you know, believe in yourself. Easier said than done, I think mm -hmm. sometimes. What um, kind of things do you... Because the thing is, you are now known to be an incredible artist, along with mm. your many other talents. And there's no way that you can deny that when you see, you know, your work being bought, being loved, being used. And it's... I suppose it's something that, from from my point, I also equally have had a lot of um, self-esteem issues for, for, since I was a teenager. Yeah. And it gets to the point where you kind of have to look at the facts in front of you and you think, huh, I've somehow managed to make a career out of what I do and people seem to like it. I, I cannot ignore that. So you kind of think, well, I must be doing all right. Was there a point where you felt, oh, okay, I, th I think I'm actually doing all right here? Um, I think there have been stages on that journey, really. I, do, mm -hmm. I don't know if there's one... There are lots of standout moments, I think, where you, um, where you kind of... Uh, your work gets to a point where other people are taking notice mm -hmm. and you think, my goodness, you know, this is... 
So um, I don't know if you've ever interviewed him, but Dickie Meaden, um, the journalist for Evo and, and other things, he interviewed me uh, for Vantage magazine. It was the first interview I'd ever done. And he said, you know, let's tell the story of your work. And that for me was huge, mm-hmm. you know, that somebody who... You know, I kind of aspired to all these people who you read in, in magazines and stuff. And he wants to talk about my work. <laughs> no. um, uh, so there are lots of things. Meeting Steve Cropley, who, mm. you know, Steve Cropley's a bit of a legend, really. <laughs> and um, and Steve uh, used to edit, be the editor of Car Magazine when I was buying it in the 80s. So he's this name I grew up knowing. And... Um, and one of the people that used to regularly illustrate in car and supercar during the 80s was um, Bob Freeman. Mm-hmm. And Bob Freeman is probably one of my all-time favourite artists. And um, and he just said to me, Bob would have liked your stuff. And wow. that just blew me away. Yes. That was just like, my goodness. Um, so there are lots of little things, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, even walking into a car studio for the first time, going somewhere where not everybody could go. Mm-hmm. And and getting on a clay model or um, you know, sitting at a desk sketching concepts. Again, I found myself kind of pinching myself almost. And, you know, crikey, I'm here. I'm I'm doing it. This is, you know, I, this was a dream I had as a kid, and now I'm here. And crikey. Um, so I think there are lots of lots of moments. I think there are lots of people as well. I think for me, one of the biggest things is that that actually I love the cars. Don't get me wrong. Um, I could sit and wax lyrical about cars all day, much to my wife's annoyance. <laughs> um, but it is the people. It's the people that have made it happen. It's the people that have encouraged you or, you know, pushed. probably like the same with you both. You know, you get those people that almost stand in your corner and will keep cheering you on from the mm. sidelines. And, and, you know, my wife, my kids, various people connected with revs, um, you know, all these people who have just really gone, go for it, you know. Yeah. Um, Can I unpick some of the, so just to kind of unpick that first chapter of your working world. So you've <laughs> gone into psychological nursing, which yeah. is obviously a huge job in itself. It's going to undergo very particular training. And of mm-hmm. course, on your own, there are certain jobs and tasks that really take a toll on you mentally yeah you know, it's, a, it's a whilst you're not doing hard physical labor that is a mentally exhausting job at the point where you decided you know I, I enough is enough and I, I now want to do something else can you remember what that felt like did you feel any guilt in leaving that profession that perhaps you felt that you'd had a calling for and obviously we're going to build up as we as the conversation goes on to what you're doing now your current vocation um, and it, I'd be fascinated to learn again about that transition time but from that point of view going from psychiatric nursing into the classic car business was that a, a feeling of relief was it a feeling was there any guilt how did you feel i think it was a mix of things there was a big feeling of relief yeah um there was a, a kind of a feeling almost of escape mm. you know that i got out of this really high pressure situation and and was doing something that was you know um potentially much kind of slower paced and um so there was a, there was a feeling of relief um there was a feeling i think there was a feeling of, or a concern did it look weak you know mm-hmm. did i look like a, just a big chicken like i couldn't handle life and that i'd be forever kind of looking for the easy route um 
And again, I think that that's partly because I'm, like a lot of people, I'm my own harshest critic. Yeah. So you'll always kind of examine your motivations and your feelings and your, you know. Um, and so there was an element of that. But I think the, the, the most thing was the overwhelming sense of relief. And then a sense of peace about whatever lay ahead, mm-hmm. really. And that doesn't mean that, that life was all hunky-dory and... You know, there were birds singing in a kind of Disney movie-like fashion. Um, it, it wasn't, but it was just a piece. And I think the piece partly came from doing something that I really loved. Yeah. You know, um, so I went to work for an Aston Martin specialist. And I've loved Astons since I was a kid. They were There was always cars, and then there were Astons. They were on this kind of separate pedestal. Um, and um, so I... Yeah, I'd, uh, to work on Astons, even though I was just changing the wheels or washing them or cleaning them or whatever, um, was just a real huge thing. And I think from a personal perspective too, my faith had sustained me massively during that transition. Okay. Um, and um, you're never going to get a vicar on a podcast without saying the name Jesus. I'm just, it's <laughs> not going to happen. Um, but it was, it was massive. It was huge. Yeah. In terms of what sustained me, um, my wife sustained me, my faith sustained me, and and just that sense of, you know, working on a a DB4 or or being asked to drive a DB4 from here to there and going, mm. wow, okay, <laughs> game on. Yeah. Um, so um, yeah, so that was massive, I think. Mm. Um, and as time progressed, the the fear about being weak mm-hmm. subsided. Um, to be replaced by a fear of cross-threading every single bolt. <laughs> well, I think there's great strength in being able to look back on a decision that you made that at the time might have been quite difficult and perhaps guilt-inducing or, you know, that, that decision of walking away from psychiatric nursing or going into a classic car restoration business. But then a bit like, you know, to, we're going to pick apart a thousand analogies in this conversation, I feel like, because a bit like at the point that you realise maybe I shouldn't be hands-on with cars, cross-threading bolts or... <laughs> doing the wrong thing it's that moment where you realize do you know what i'm better as the t-boy because i'm not very good at that or my skill set is better put here is probably the better way of saying it than doing that and therefore i guess for that next chapter so going from that restoration business to going do you know what actually i've always liked drawing cars i've had an interest in car design and that's what i'm going to have a go at did you find that that gave further credence to what your your previous decisions like oh actually this has panned out in exactly the way that it should have done, whether that's because of a, a greater power or just a kind of internal desire to want to keep bettering yourself or challenging yourself. Did you find that that next step into car design, did you look back on the decision to leave nursing as actually that was definitely the right thing to do? Did it make um, it better, I guess is what I'm asking. Yeah, I mean, in one sense, I'm not somebody, although I'm a, a Christian and I have an active Christian faith, I don't believe that there's this kind of one overarching plan that's written in stone Mm -hmm. Um, because I think as we've said you know choices come and we we don't necessarily anticipate a choice and we make that choice like doing the podcast or um, doing what I'm doing now or all the other opportunities that have opened up for all three of us in various ways but I think um, I tend to think that God writes his plans in pencil so that he can rub them out and you know um, but um, I think it, 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 all that said, there did seem a kind of this makes sense to be doing what I'm mm. doing now. I'm never one 
to kind of think that things are wasted. So what I learned in nursing was about how to deal with people, about how to deal with some challenging situations, about how to support other people and work as a team to uh, to a certain kind of goal and an end. And, and I think all that can still be translated into car design. It's mm-hmm. just a different um, environment. But the skills of, of teamwork, of um, kind of working together on a project to, to achieve something, they're, they're all still there, really. Mm-hmm. So um, whilst it may seem very different, actually there is parallel skills. And so I didn't feel... It, it didn't seem kind of strange to go and do it. Yeah. Um, and it didn't feel like a complete U-turn. Because um, I think at the end of the day, something like nursing and, and particularly psychiatric nursing, where you're you're very much focused on a personality mm. um, and not just an illness, um, it teaches you a lot about people. Yeah. And, and whatever you go and do afterwards, you know, they're always valuable lessons i think to be learned so yeah i have an auntie who we spoke about before we started recording who is also a vicar and uh, she she likes to um she'll she'll probably be listening to this so hello auntie naomi um, hello she, auntie naomi, <laughs> Hi, <I'm> naomi. <laughs> she she's a fantastic but she's one of my favorite people to talk to about life because she's one of these people that just can compartmentalize everything and even after a five minute conversation where you didn't realize you were stressing about something you'll realise that perhaps you were and she's put it all in, into perspective. And she okay. uses that example of previous life experiences because like all of us in here, I've had a really bizarre mixed working past from working in the travel industry to the events industry to uh, two weeks in recruitment before I walked out because I hated it. You know, all these different things. And she often reminds me, she says, well, you know, whilst the, those particular jobs might not have worked out, you took a little bit from that and a little bit from yeah. this. And the skill set that you learnt in that has all pushed you forward into being where you are today and it's so true and it can be so easy to forget that mm. you know we can we can so easily write off past chapters and think well that was a complete waste of time but if you really think about it it never is there's always something that you get out of everything that yeah. can push you forward to where you are now and i think also there's always relationships mm. yeah yeah you know that that the, um i wasn't the greatest mechanic let's let's, <laughs> let's just put it that way um but i met some amazing people yeah and so i never kind of think well, that wasn't worth it, you know. There's um, a really great quote, which is, every person you meet is either a blessing or a lesson. And um, <laughs> Oh, yeah, it's the I like same, that. Yeah, it's the same with careers and everything. So, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it is exactly that. I mean, there are some things, obviously, that, you know, I wasn't going to be doing in life. So I remember going as a kid to an RAF evening where they were talking about you could be a fighter pilot. <laughs> and I thought, brilliant, brilliant. So they, they sit you down and talk about what being a fighter pilot's about. And as you know, as a teenager, it's like, hey, it's great, I love this. <laughs> Flying a tornado, brilliant. And then they say, you know, you aerobatics and all of this stuff. And I thought, oh, well, I don't like going upside down. So, so obviously I'm not going to be a pilot, really. So there are some things that I think, yeah. Um, but it again, I think for me, it comes back to the people. Mm. It's all about people. It's all about... The relationships that that you have with people because actually i think that's where you grow you know i don't think as human beings we were ever intended to live life in complete isolation no and i think um well the last two years have kind of reminded us of that a bit really so um Absolutely. so yeah so it, it's and i've met some amazing people um you know so i feel very very fortunate to have to have met the people i have i think 
Brilliant. It was interesting reading about where like your life journey has got to to get you to this point because then you before you kind of went f- from cars to being a vicar you were the last job you were in was with Bentley uh, Rolls-Royce. Rolls, sorry, Rolls-Royce. Yes, yeah. Rolls-Royce. And you were doing their, wait, well, I've got it written down, their um, bespoke yeah. something or other. What Brilliant. was that like? Was that a point in your career you thought, I'm, yeah, I did it? Um, I don't know. I'd had a period of redundancy. So like a lot of people, uh, back in 2008, the recession hit, um, got made redundant. So I'd, um, I'd literally jumped ship and started designing boats for a couple of companies. <laughs> That's such a common thing. Car what? designers suddenly jumping to boats. Again, it's, so it's, tr- it's a transferable skills, yeah. I think, and, and they're taught side by side. Well, certainly at Coventry, ah, there's a, a right. boat design course and a car design course. Um, but I just remember thinking, okay, um, I need to do something. I'll start drawing boats. <laughs> and just started drawing boats and reading boat magazines and then put together some boat sketches, sent them off to various companies and one came back and said, well, actually, we want somebody who who hasn't done boats before because we want to see what they can bring to it. So so the the, the short answer to a very long story is that, um, yeah, I ended up doing boat design and then got made redundant because people stopped buying multi-million pound boats, <laughs> funnily enough. And, um, and I uh, put all this stuff together and I just sent it to a whole load of different people and eventually ended up having an interview over at Goodwood with Rolls-Royce. Um, and went to work for the bespoke team um, for not a very long period of time. I think it was um, inside of a year because working at Rolls-Royce um, coincided with kind of exploring the, the church. Um, but um, but uh, yeah, incredible. Uh, and I loved it. Absolutely loved it. And some really, really good people there. Uh, working there was like working for a family. They even had a, a kind of employees day where they invited all the employees' family onto the factory one weekend. And the... the Families were given a tour and they had a fairground mm. ride and you could have a ride in a phantom or a ghost. Um, so, um, yeah, no, in terms of seeing out my days as a car designer, couldn't have asked for any better, really. <laughs> and had an absolutely amazing boss um, who was just the nicest guy with the driest sense of humour, which I love. <laughs> and um, and it was brilliant. Yeah, absolutely loved it. And, and seeing these incredible motor cars mm-hmm. kind of come together... Um, and again, you're 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 working as a team and and working on a project, and you know, um, if somebody wanted their veneer stained blue, then you kind of explored how to do that. Or did you ever get some like weird um, and wonderful things that customers wanted in their cars? And being being you know being in this bespoke section of, of yeah. Rolls Royce, you must have had. I mean, you like, do, and you get you get things which you know um, really aren't feasible. Um, so I think somebody did ask us about a, a wood-burning stove at one stage. Amazing. Um, but it was a, a particular type of stove to burn kind of scented oil. Um, but obviously the minute you kind of do an emergency stop, you're not really going to... Um, Is but, it true that, the, that there's a person or a man or a, an individual that has to kind of rein in some requests and say, I'm very sorry, sir, but we... We, we won't do a pink phantom or something like that. I mean, I, I don't know if there's is there's that. There's always, I mean, there's always the feasibility. Yeah. You know, how how feasible is something? And, and obviously, if you've got ha- ah, hot ash kind of tra- <laughs> travelling at great speed across the cabin because you've done an emergency stop, it's probably not a good shout. Um, I think there are things that, that 
there are things that, that are they becoming of a Rolls Royce? You know, mm, yeah. Um, and and I think in this day of brands and and particularly with a brand as precious as Rolls Royce, you want to, whilst you want you know the customer is always the the key person in the equation. You 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 want to kind of be careful about that. And yeah. I think they are very good with their brand Rolls Royce. Um, they know what it's about. Mm. Um, they know the history. And um, and there's just... I found myself just surrounded by an incredibly talented bunch of people mm. who were really committed about what they were doing. And I loved every minute of it. There was some really... Um, uh, you know, you, you kind of think Rolls-Royce, oh, they'll all be kind of, um, you know... Uh, standoffish and not at all not at all um and actually when i left they made me a um a, a vicar's collar really? out of uh, the leather shop made me a vicar's oh. collar although my boss went to the leather shop and said we need a dog collar so they started to go and put <laughs> studs in it and they were like no 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 he's going to be a vicar oh okay <laughs> Um, and um, I mean, can you not have like a studded, glitzy? Oh no, no, it's <laughs> the wrong message. No, um, uh, you yeah, know, and so they were just brilliant. And to watch, you know, to go in on a lunch hour and, and go and watch the production line mm. and watch the guys in the wood shop or the leather shop just produce the most amazing things. You know, we'd sit there on Photoshop and we'd say, right, we want it to look like this. But actually, those guys are the people that made it happen, yeah. uh, you know, and they're often the unsung heroes of the car world because whether we like it or not, you know, designers will always kind of appear on the front pages of magazines. Yeah, that's true. But actually, it's the real skill are the, the modelers, the woodworkers, mm. the leather shop people, the production guys who turn what you dream into reality. Yeah. Mm. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. Yeah, that's right. That that team often mm. doesn't get thought about. We've we've spoken to quite a few car designers, and all the best have always said, whenever we compliment a particular car, they always say, "Well, yes, it was me and an amazing group of people." Yeah. I always think that's so important yeah. because, as you say, it, it can be so easy to think of a a car being designed by one person, but often there's 30 or 40 people that would give their input to that one model, that one car that we all see and love. And that's just in the studio. And then you've got yeah. all the production engineers, you've got aerodynamicists, you've got, you know, um, you know, a car is never designed by one person. I get slightly um, wound up when they say, oh, so-and-so designed that car. Uh, not, <laughs> not sure. There's, there's more than just one person. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. Now, before Rolls-Royce, yeah. MG Rover. Uh, yes. <laughs> can't. There's no. No, my, we can't my, get around that, can my we? My friends would berate me if I didn't talk about MG Rover because okay. I, I have a, a bizarre group of friends. They're wonderful. Uh, but a rather large proportion of them have taken a certain affection to everything that's ever rolled out of Longbridge. Okay. So therefore, I'd be fascinated to know. Because was MG Rover, was that the was that the, your longest stint as a designer? Um, so I went first went to MG Rover in 2003 when I was in my third year at COG and you did an industrial placement. Uh -huh. And um, like any kind of placement, it was a, you came in, you put your portfolios on the desk and you walked out and then the designers looked round and chose. And, and I was very fortunate to get chosen to go to MG Rover. So I went and I went and again, a bit like Bespoke, there was this amazingly small but very talented bunch of people mm -hmm. who were desperate to make 
the cars that that really would kind of return the brand to to something special and were pretty much hamstrung by lack of money mm. um by some in the kind of senior management who who I think made some interesting decisions is probably the best way of putting it. Mm-hmm. Um, and um, and it was a real shame. And I remember, actually, the day that we all got told it was closing. Mm. Um, and it, actually, we all found out from the news on Sunday night. Oh, really? Wow. Yeah, so I went to bed, and we had a TV in our bedroom. And um, I kind of... We had this usual routine, my wife and I, on Sunday evening. We'd go to church, come... Come home, hot chocolate, Mars bar, sit in bed, watch the news, <laughs> job done. Um, and and we were sat there and the headline was, the production line has stopped at MG Rover. Wow. And that's how we found out. So I went into work the next day and um, and the guys, the guys said, right, all the contractors go home. And the five of us that were left sat in the studio for a week waiting for the kind of eventual mm. demise of the company. And on the Friday night, um, got home, my boss rang me and said, that's it, I'm afraid, job wow. done. So, and that was six and a half thousand plus people. Mm. Then you've got your outlying kind of satellite businesses, even things like hairdressers at Longbridge, cafes at yeah. Longbridge, yeah. corner shops. A lot of those folded mm. um, because suddenly the workforce just couldn't afford even to buy things like newspapers or whatever and so it, i mean it was massive mm. it was huge and and you know i was fortunate enough to see and be involved in some of what we were really hoping would be some good product yeah which never got to see the light of day um and never went further for them for some of them than the than the the drawing board mm. um, but there was a real desire and there was a really good bunch of people um, but I think it's really difficult as well. I think partly, you know, what do you do with a brand like Rover? What mm. does Rover actually mean? Yeah. And for, for those of us who kind of get all misty eyed about old Rovers and I have an old Rover, that's one thing, but actually, you know, if you're 2021 and your potential is to buy a BMW one series or a, an alpha or something else you know rover didn't quite kind of <laughs> wooden leather which is nice on a bentley but um you know on a rover 25 people just weren't weren't yeah. buying them and and there was only so much that you could do to keep recycling the, the product mm. um, it does make me think of being driven to school as a child with my i think my dad had a rover for a bit and i think i hid under the dash because it was just a horrendous color i think he bought it for like <laughs> literally for 20 pounds okay. and it lasted in the end for about two years or something but like my primary school was literally if you could walk it in seven minutes round the block and my dad would basically dr- drive us round the block to be able to drop us off and then go to work himself our, my, my parents' house is on an ever, ever so slight hill. And so the amount of mornings he would say, get in the back, kids. And he would push the car hide, slightly hide. down the hill because he couldn't start it. So he'd bump start it oh onwards uh, many, many times. And the problem is you had to try and bump start it before we got to the junction at the end of the hill. So, um, yeah, then, you know, my, 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 my um, peers would be walking to... To, to school and see me and I'll be like oh no <laughs> so um you'd feel like yeah. you're trying to smuggle yourself from East Germany to West Germany weren't <laughs> yeah. you you're kind of back in the days of the Berlin Wall I think it was yeah the, the point where I was old enough to then say dad you know what just don't worry I'll just walk to school <laughs> <It> was, <laughs> I think that, I mean the other thing was that they were 
the 75 was a great car. Mm. Mm. And it was a great car that then developed into the ZTMGs, which yeah, were really course. good yeah, yeah. Um, hot saloons. Yeah. And, then, and then the 45, okay, which was old, old technology. <laughs> but actually, when it turned into the MGZS, it was, of the three, it was the best car around a track by a country mile. I mean, mm. it was, you know, really good driving experience. Yeah. But it was, but it was old. Um, yeah, so it said so it wasn't that some of the product wasn't good. It was, and it, it some very talented people developed it on shoestring budgets that, yeah. you know, um, into something better. I mean, Peter Stevens, who was my boss, you know, who did the McLaren F1 and the XJR15 Jag and Lotus, and mm. you know, was a brilliant boss and a real kind of encourager in some pretty desperate times. Mm. Um, and then, yeah, a bunch of really talented modelers, CAD guys, designers. So in some ways, although it felt like being dropped in the deep end as a, as a job, it was a really, it was quite exciting to see what, what people were, were, were hoping to, to bring to fruition. Are there any that you remember that were kind of at that early stage of design or just about to go into engineering that you really were excited about? And I guess anything that we might know about because I think as years go on, certain designs have come out and said, oh, look what we nearly made. Is yeah. Anything like that that you really wish you'd had seen? I think, I, think I mean, the big thing that, that, that we were desperate for was a new medium car. Mm. And and when the first iterations of that came out, it, it you know, it, it went through a whole period of redesign. Mm-hmm. And, um, and we were finally given the uh, mechanical package that we wanted. Right. Really right towards the end. <laughs> and uh, which would make for a good set of proportions, uh, which could make for a good-looking hatch, small saloon, um, and and it was it was those kind of coming into fruition as models that we kind of finally thought, great, we've got the actual mechanical package that will make this work now. Mm. Um, we've got the potential for a company to come in and and make this happen. And then, of course, the the Chinese looked at the books and went, hold mm. on a minute. Um, and and that was that. So that's the biggest thing that we were probably looking forward to, but also equally frustrated by. I think. Yeah, that makes sense. So you've gone from MG Rover. Yeah. And you've gone into ben, uh, Rolls Royce. Sorry, yeah, yeah. which is obviously a lovely chapter. And then you spoke about that uh, that time to so transitioning from car design for a big manufacturer. Two huge manufacturers, in fact, to then go into the church. Yeah. <laughs> I'd like to learn more about that process. And, and was there a point that that light bulb switched on at any point in your career? So even further back, because you mentioned, well, you mentioned before we hit the record button that you're you're from a, a household of clergy, aren't you? Your parents, see, both your parents were Yeah, parents. yeah. Um, so do you, was there, do you think there was a very early light that was switched on of yeah, eventually this is going to happen? Or was there a time that you thought, no, I'm not going to follow the, the, the family tradition. I'm going to go into cars or nursing. Uh, but then it came back. What was that process? I, I probably spent a lot of time trying to run away from it, if I'm honest. Okay. And actually, if you talk to a lot of vicars, um, you know, when they first sensed this sense of calling to, to, to join um, the clergy, there is that sense of no, 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 anything <laughs> but um, for a lot of them. And um, I mean, there's always that kind of, you know, 
you get the old lady from church who looks at you and goes, are you going to follow in your father's footsteps? <laughs> no. <laughs> um, I'm going to draw cars. Um, <laughs> yeah, so I don't know if... I'd, but I think when I, when I got made redundant, it was um, the second time after MG Rover and it wasn't my fault again. Um, <laughs> but I... Um, you know, people stopped buying boats, got made redundant, was just looking at various things, um, started my own, worked as a contractor for various companies for a while. Um, but um, I think there was just this gradual process of, okay, if this is going to be the long-term future of in and out of jobs, mm. this isn't very sustainable. And, and now is the time to start looking at other things, perhaps. And it was, it was... I mean, my wife had, was working in, for a church. She was a youth worker for a church. And, and so church was very much part of our life and faith was part of our life. It's, you know, and it's not just a Sunday morning thing. It, it's, it, it's, you know, every day of the week. And so it, it just seemed a natural thing to look and to explore the idea. And, and becoming a vicar isn't, you know, it's not um, you go to a, a day and, and, you know... <laughs> So suddenly you're walking out with a Bible and that's it. <laughs> They've got you. Um, you know, it's a, it's a proper intensive process. And they explore with you a lot of stuff, your history, your personality, your, um, your ability to um, kind of work alongside other people and, and not necessarily people that you would um, agree with on things. And, and so... Um, I likened it once to um, it's like going on an SAS selection course, mm -hmm. um, but with more cake and less <laughs> jumping in through windows. Um, yeah, so um, so it is pretty intense, and you come away from a three day selection conference, and and I was probably the most knackered I've ever been. Right, um, and then they kind of come back to you a couple of weeks later and say either yes you can go forward for training or or no we. We think maybe you need to, you know, to explore other options, or or maybe this isn't the right time. So, so it's a it's a pretty intense process, and um, and I started at Rolls Royce the week that I'd gone on my selection conference. So I did uh -huh. Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at selection conference, and then started at Rolls Royce on Thursday, wow. and I was complete. <laughs> uh, yeah, what what? Um, and then um, and then two weeks later, found out, and my boss at Rolls said, you know, because I'd told him what I was doing. And he said, look, we just need to know as we're kind of planning starting in the future, you know, is this likely to happen? And there was a very definite point where I had to choose between the two. Mm. And um, and it at the time it felt completely, yep, yeah, I'm going to go to the church. You know, it felt. And then the longer the Rolls job went on and the more I kind of did with Rolls, I was like, oh, do I really want to go to church? <laughs> this is looking pretty good. <laughs> um, I think it reached the zenith when... Um, we went to Coventry University's design degree show that they have every year to go and right. look at the new students. And my boss said, Adam, will you sort out transport and we'll, we'll take a Phantom? Brilliant. And um, you're responsible for driving it there and driving it back. <laughs> Result. <laughs> you know, great. <laughs> um, so, um, so, yeah, I think over time there, there was actually a grief reaction afterwards mm. um, of, of, of it felt like turning my back on cars completely okay. and, and concentrating on what I was doing. And, um, and I always remember I trained at Bristol uh, in Theological College and um, the week after we'd moved to Bristol, 
Um, I was driving down uh, one of the big high streets in Bristol and a Rolls-Royce Phantom pulled out in front of me. And it, I suddenly found myself welling up. Mm. And I'm not kind of a crier normally, but I really did well up mm. because it was suddenly like I've turned my back on that and, and now here I am doing something different. So, um, yeah, it was a bit weird. Wow. But it's interesting. I've, I've written down here three things which are very all kind of the same. Religion plus mental health, question mark. Cars plus religion, question mark. Cars plus mental health, question mark. You seem to have managed to now, in the, the time we are talking to you, found this beautiful equilibrium where you sit between this triangle of the three things that you seem to have a passion in. And seem, you do have a passion in. Do you feel content at this moment in that triangle? I don't know if I ever feel content. And maybe that's not a, a good thing. I don't know. But I... Um... I think my whole life has been exploring how the three work together, partly because I live with an enduring mental health condition. So I've had OCD now for 25 years, I think, or, or certainly what we've recognised now as being OCD, which I kind of manage. And I've got an amazing home team at fa in the family, and, and particularly my wife, um, who have really kind of, at times, almost literally carried me through it. Mm -hmm. um, and and both cars and faith have been the counterpoint to that, really. And um, and the interesting thing is, I always thought cars and faith were mutually exclusive. And actually, it was only when I went to theological college, and we talked about what the future of the church looks like. And you know, there's that whole thing of you know, church numbers are falling year on year, and all of this. And and in some places that's true, not in every place. But actually. Um, I really kind of became quite passionate about church isn't a building. Church is what happens when people come together and God is on the agenda. And church can be anywhere. And I read some really good stuff when I was training that, that said, well, you know, actually, if we're passionate about other things, why don't we just go and be church there and hang out with similar-minded people? And why don't we go and support people and tell them God loves them just by loving them rather than ramming stuff down their throat mm -hmm. and um and that really kind of i just thought wow yeah actually church in a car park full of old cars love it <laughs> and and i told somebody one of my tutors and they were like yeah go for it you know push the door see what happens and um and 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 that was really the kind of birth of rebs as a as an idea um this idea of of taking church out to people rather than expecting them to come to us uh, and not kind of standing on the, the, the classic car forecourt, preaching at everybody with a, you know, bashing them overhead with a Bible, <laughs> but actually just being among a group of people, supporting them, loving them, being positive with them, mm. listening to them, mm. you know, um, kind of what Jesus did if you look at the stories of Jesus. So, so yeah, um, and it just so happened to coincide with cars. And so when I was training uh, in my first church, I went to the vicar and said, look, can I do a classic car show here at the, you know, in the church car park? And we'll even get a sponsor and we'll, you know, because I lived in an area, the church was in an area where there were lots of very wealthy people who had these amazing houses, but were all behind gates. And so you never saw them. Mm -hmm. And I wanted to get behind the gates. And the first time I did it, I was walk, going for a, a 
kind of prayer walk, which isn't walking around with your eyes closed because you bump into stuff. <laughs> um, but you just kind of talk to God and you walk and you look at them, meet people and see who kind of turns up. And um, there was this guy cleaning his DB9 in the driveway. Brilliant. And I was like, oh, <laughs> it's an Aston. And I popped my head through the gates, literally through the, you know, and I said to him, excuse me, your DB9's got the sport pack, hasn't it? <laughs> and he looked at me, and what he must have thought is Vicar. I was about to say, do you have your dog collar yeah, on Yeah, with his dog collar on, you know, poking his head through the gates, talking about... <laughs> and, and he said, how do you know that? I said, well, it's dropped by about five mil, isn't it? And it's got the other... It's got the five-spoke alloys, and it's got the... And he went, my goodness. And we just struck up a conversation. Yeah. And it was two people coming from completely different backgrounds, but they'd found a mutual meeting point. Mm. And, and we just talked. And um, I said, you know, look, we're going to hold a classic car show. Would you come? And he said, well, I really can't. He said, but why don't you borrow my DB9 for the weekend and have it? I was really, really tempted. And then I turned to him and I went, actually, no, I don't want you. I, want, I don't want your car. I want you. Huh. Because it's about community. So actually, what I'd rather have is your car and you. So I'm not going to borrow it on this occasion, if that's all right. But would you come to the next one we do? And he said, yeah, of course. And so it, it just built up like that. And we did this annual car show that grew and grew. And then we thought, well, if we're not, you know, we're only meeting people once a year. How is this really kind of being community if we're only, you know, doing it once? So we started Rev Shrewsbury, which was this um, monthly cars and coffee, a bit like, uh, I know you've had Lewis Warren talking about mm -hmm. coffee yeah. and cars. And yeah. it's very, very, very similar um, setup. Um, uh, where people could come, they could talk about cars, they could look at bonnets and engines and <laughs> shiny bits. Um, or if they wanted to, they could talk about other stuff if they felt that it was a safe place to do it. And it, and we even said, look, we'll offer a prayer, you know, mm -hmm. to Vicar. Um, kind of goes without saying. But we'll do it in a in a very kind of easy way. So people can write a prayer request on a slip of paper and they chuck it through the sunroof of my old car <laughs> and in an envelope. And then I take it home and I pray about those things with my team of people for, for the month. And then, um, you know, we, we just say to people, how's it going? So, so it's very kind of low key, very laid back. That's now grown to three groups. So we've got three. Uh, the nearest one to here is Wellsbourne, just outside Stratford. I yeah. never knew that. I'm gonna so we've to got go three. Yeah. And now we've, we're just about to start a fourth in just outside Stoke-on-Trent. Mm. And we've got two people up north, uh, both in Yorkshire and in Lancashire, who want to start revs groups up there. So Amazing. And they're very small, you know, they're not massive groups. We're not talking mm. the main car park at Caffeine and Machine. We're yeah, talking yeah. Greasy Spoon cafes quite often with 10, 15 cars in. Mm -hmm. um, but these are little communities. So then... When COVID hits, <laughs> yeah, because this is amazing. Like, um, you started the um, Revs Limiter, yeah, and you. I think I read that you were hoping that you'd end up having like a couple of hundred people watching the the live kind of um, meet, and you ended up getting over two thousand people showing up online. Yeah, <laughs> um, it was a bit scary. So we, I mean, like everybody, you know, really annoyed. We couldn't get cars out. We couldn't go to shows. Um, I couldn't see my favourite photographer, Amy Shaw. <laughs> uh, no, um, I, I mean, yes. Um, uh, whoops. You know you were saying you can always edit, but no. no. Uh, uh, you know, I think uh, everybody was just so cheesed off, weren't they? And it got past the point where 
oh, this is really nice. I can sit in the garden and read for a month to actually this is a bit serious now and, and people are really struggling mentally, physically. Yeah. Um, and we probably all know people who really hit rock bottom. So, um, and I, I remember going for a walk with my wife one night and just saying, you know, she said, well, why are you grumpier than usual? <laughs> and I said, because I can't get my car out. Yeah. And she said, well, why don't you do something online? And that was the start of it. So we, we, we gathered a whole group of yourself included and others and, you know, people who, who said, oh, I've got so-and-so in my little black book and I'll give you their number. And, you know, so we ended up with people like Vicky Butler-Henderson, mm-hmm. Jimmy DeVille, Amy, mm-hmm. um, a whole lot of um, motoring people. And then kind of Fred Bloggs back home with his, you know, car in the garage that he was really passionate about. And we, we just all, we gave them all 15 minutes. And so you've got 15 minutes to video something and then we will live stream it mm-hmm. and we'll stack the videos up so that they go out all through the first weekend. And I remember on the Friday night before we were due to go live on the Saturday morning thinking, what have I got myself <laughs> into? And, and also, what have I signed up all these amazing people for when we might just get three people watching? <laughs> yeah. Um, and then I thought, well, if we get 200, that would be fab. It would be really good. Um, you know, we wanted to make some money for Mission Motorsport. Mm-hmm. You know, we um, and we wanted to kind of shine a, a bit of a spotlight on mental health, but not in a kind of, we're going to therapise you now, mm. but just to kind of look, we know we're all struggling, so here's some nice stuff with wheels and engines. And yeah, uh, Saturday morning, 11 o'clock, I couldn't press the... Um, enter the group button quick enough on Facebook <laughs> and we had about 40 people who were admin staff who we just who said we'll help you mm-hmm. and we were all just sat there in our different homes pressing the <laughs> enter into the group enter into the group enter into the group and by the first weekend we were nearly 3,000 hmm. wow which yeah I couldn't believe it um, and somebody said to me you've created a monster and I was like, yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> so yeah but a wonderful monster yeah a nice monster well, I, I hope what it does is it gives everybody a platform to kind of talk about their stuff. So we, our rules are basically, look, you know, this is not a place for keyboard warriors. Mm. Um, this is a place that even if you're not a big Austin Allegro fan, you can appreciate <laughs> that somebody else is. Yeah, that's <laughs> And that's great. Yeah. Um, we've got people with Aston Martins. We've got people with um, Austins. We've, you know, we've, and that everything in between. Mm. Um, we've got people in the States... South Africa, Australia, New Zealand. Um, we've got a guy in California who's one of our most passionate members who just, he lives in kind of real car country. Mm-hmm. So he'll send in little videos and it's just amazing. You know, mm-hmm. you're like, wow. And then we've got other people who are just passionate about their car. Yeah. And it's brilliant to see, you know. Um, um, and our, our, our real thing is that as every car has a story, every owner has a story. Yeah. And it's those stories that we're we're, we're most interested in. Mm. Um, and it doesn't matter who they are or what they have. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. One of the most common, I've written it down on my little document. So just as a little insight to the listeners here, whenever we record a podcast, I have a, a, a notepad on my lap where I just scribble things constantly because there are things that I want to recap on or go back to. And something I've written down is something we've said time and time and time again on this podcast, which is cars are the catalyst. And you mentioned it when you were talking about that very first car show that you yeah. wanted to organise at the church. And I can only imagine the reaction to both 
your seniors and the local community and you know people saying what why does the vicar want to bring cars into the church car park but it's often because cars are that they are the catalyst they are an entry into a wider conversation yeah. they're an entry into relationships into friendships into employment into just a different outlook on life it might be just because of a car, you met somebody that turned on a little light that you didn't even know needed turning on. And that's what I l- absolutely love about this industry. That and the point that everybody that's in it, from an interest or from an employment point of view, we're all in it because we love it. Yeah. We love cars. Cars are a... It's an interest. It's yeah. a passion-led industry. Yeah, I think it's just... Uh, I'm really enjoying this because, of course, there are there are more anecdotes. I'm going to try to restrict the amount of anecdotes I want to keep bringing out because there just seems to be so many coming on. Um, I want to explore the both the Revs Limiter group from an online platform, but yeah. also from that physical meeting up platform because it's there's not a there's no emphasis on you come along here and be religious. You know, be you don't have to turn up wearing a t-shirt that says I love Jesus do you, you no know? but I have got one I nearly wore it today actually <laughs> but um, my wife made me see sense and, and, and wear the red one instead but it's an awesome t-shirt very cool um, I will wear it another day because this is a I think this is religion is a funny one isn't it and I guess there may be people that perhaps at the beginning of this pod- podcast even thought well you know I'm, I, I'm not religious a, a key example of that is, is me I was brought up in a very very religious family Grandfather, grandfather was a reverend. Auntie still is a reverend. It was Sunday church every week. It was, yeah. Mum was a member of the church committee. Sure. We were. It was Church of England through and through. We had more Victoria sponges and cups of tea than any other family in the town, all because the church was was just so prominent. Now, for me as a teenager, I like many people who who were brought up in a religious family. You start questioning things. You yeah. start wondering. You start exploring. My grandfather was fantastic because he not only was he a reverend, he was also a psychotherapist. And he had this huge passion in just exploring the way people thought, which has definitely been passed on to me. And I remember just quite sheepishly one day saying to him, so the whole God thing, I've got some questions. And I remember everyone else around the family dinner table on a Sunday was like, right, we're off. Was it it like tumbleweed over the dining room table? (laughs) the God word. But the brilliant thing was, despite the rest of the family, aunties, uncles, cousins and all, retreating to the front room, (laughs) Grandad and I sat at the table and we just talked. And we did that for that day and we did it for a week upon week upon week afterwards. The conclusion that I came to was that for me, religion wasn't the be all and end all. I, okay. I, I didn't quite get the full picture. So therefore, to me, it didn't make a lot of sense. But in my time exploring religion and exploring why are so many people passionate about it? Because I think this is the question that a lot of people have that haven't been brought up around religion or haven't been exposed to religion. Is a lot of people can go, I don't get it. It's not immediately obvious as to why so many people believe in this thing that nobody really understands. And then for me, I went through that stage, definitely was like, yeah, I don't get it. You know, how can such, how can my grandfather, who's a, a member of Mensa and a psychotherapist and previously have all these very, very impressive jobs. How can he believe in this thing that we don't actually know is there? But then the more I studied it, I ended up going in a complete circle and going, well, it doesn't matter. Because regardless of what it is that he believes in, we don't know what it is, but there is definitely a physical something. And that something was that community of people. And this is where it's feeding back into this wonderful world of cars. Yeah. That, And your definition of the word church, I really liked. Because... Mm-hmm. Church, you're right, doesn't have to be an old medieval stone-built building for people to go to every Sunday and pray and 
feel like they're in a community. Church can be a collection of any anybody, anywhere, and anything. And whilst it doesn't have to be God that brings us together, it could be cars. But the one thing that is so paramount and the thing that translates across both fields is that everyone that's there is there because they want to be there and chances are because you're there in a passion-led industry whether you're passionate about god or you're passionate about cars you'll meet other people that you like and that you want to support them and in that group of people if you see somebody that's perhaps not having a good time you want to help them Mm. and you do Mm. and to me this whole concept is absolutely fascinating because You've got both. <laughs> You've got that community of people that want to look after each other because they just love cars and that community of wonderful people. And this is something I've explored in, you know, I'm lucky enough to have friends from all different walks of life and all different faiths. And the one thing that I've always consistently found, if you walk into a church on a church day, everybody's lovely. Mm-hmm. If you walk into a mosque on mosque day, everybody's lovely. Synagogue, everybody's lovely. They are filled. People of religion tend to be really lovely people. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's... Um... It's interesting, you know, you were saying about talking with your granddad mm. and, and you kind of, I don't get it. Um, I go through that too. You mm. know, I go through, I don't get this. Yeah. You know, my faith isn't all buttoned up and, and I've got every answer solved to every question. Um, actually, I think some of the most faithful, committed Christians I know are people who've gone at times, I don't get it, mm. Mm. you know. Um and and there are some amazing people back in through the history of of the Christian faith who've gone. I don't get it. Yeah. Um, I was reading uh, recently about um, C.S. Lewis, the guy that wrote the Narnia Chronicles, mm. and C.S. Lewis was an atheist who became a Christian and wrote loads of books on Christianity. Really, kind of powerful, encouraging, inspiring stuff. And he got married fairly late in his life, and his wife died of cancer. Mm. And he went through this real kind of, I don't get this. Mm. Where's God when, you know, I'm as happy as I could be with a woman I love mm-hmm. and she's taken away. And and he wrote a book called A Grief Observed, which is really kind of, doesn't he doesn't pull his punches. He doesn't mm. hold back. He, he kind of lets God have it with both barrels. And, um, and I think for me, what that implies actually isn't, that faith isn't about having all the answers. Faith is about relationship. Mm. And actually, if you look at all the people of faith in both the Old Testament and the New Testament, some of them were the most messed up people out. But what was common with all of them was that they had this relationship mm. with God or with Jesus. And, it, and it, was, it was that relationship that was the basis of their faith rather than having all the answers resolved, having all the the the, the difficult questions sorted in their head. Mm. And there is still time, you know, I, I remember when my mum died very suddenly and there are times where I kind of said, well, God, what are you doing? Mm. You know, what are you playing at? Um, times when I was unemployed where I kind of thought, well, stuff this for a game of soldiers and, mm. you know, where's where's God when I need him? Um so it's it for me. It's about relationship, mm. um, and I think you're right. Church doesn't have to be about a building. Church is about people. It's about a gathering. I would say that church gathers with God on the agenda mm. um, because that's what makes it a church. But back in the early days of the New Testament, churches were meeting in people's front rooms or yeah, houses. Yeah. Um, so, so it for me, it's never been about the building. Mm. 
and and the relationships that you make and the people that you meet you know um i remember you interviewed um jimmy deville fairly yeah, recently didn't yeah, you yeah. jimmy's great i got to know jimmy through the last couple of years uh, uh in fact a whole group of them jimmy um charlotte valden alex goy people who you know we all come from different places perhaps mm. But there's just something there between us, and and it's just been a real privilege getting to know all them, um, and they know that I'm, you know, the god botherer, um, <laughs> or, or what I'm called, you know. But it, but it's just been a real privilege to kind of walk through life with them and mm. and support them and be supported by them. It's you know, whether we we share a faith or whether we don't, um, but I, I wouldn't say that I have all the answers, mm. and I certainly wouldn't say that I've got, you know, that that life is a breeze with God, yeah. Because um, actually, it isn't, and life has its challenges, whether we believe in God or not. And um, you know, we all we all have them, or we all face them. And um, you know, uh, I remind myself of that every day I look in the mirror, <laughs> kind of see I'm getting older and older. Um, but yeah, does that ever play on the job? In the sense of we we all as humans, and again at the very beginning of this recording, we talked about that the personality traits of a creative is often that self doubt, oh, yeah. self deprecation. You look at things you've created or put together, and you think, oh god, it's just a bit rubbish. Um, so does that happen even as a vicar? Do you have oh, yeah. days where you think, oh, am I am I have I done that right? Is yeah. This oh yeah. Thing? I think every day you, you know, I think if you 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 went into it and thought you were God's gift to ministry and people and you know, quite literally, um, I'd have some serious questions mm. um, because I think that a lot of us who are clergy go through a lot of days where there's serious soul-searching. Mm. Um, and actually, I think that is part of the process because how can we identify with other people who are seriously soul-searching about life mm. if we're not doing it ourselves? Yeah. You know, and it, and I, for me, it's not about... Saying to sit and tell them down and going, right, you need to do this, you need to do that, and then everything's sorted. But actually, it's about traveling with people through that process, mm. you know, very much kind of being the there's that whole horrible thing of God is my co pilot, <laughs> um, but actually being somebody else's passenger mm. on the journey of their life and going, well, we'll, you know, we'll walk through this with you. And whether that's you're having a really crap day at work mm. or a really difficult relationship issue or you know, you're struggling with depression. It's about walking through that with people and loving them and supporting them and, and sometimes just listening. Yeah. I think that's what's something that's... When we've I've told people that we're going to be chatting to you over this week and, um, or if you ever come in conversation, everybody I've ever spoken to that knows you has gone, oh, such a nice guy. Isn't, isn't he just so nice? <laughs> yeah, I've paid them so much. <laughs> <laughs> I'm bankrupt now. It's quite well, the PRT. Yeah, I'm a flipping act. Yeah, God. Well, the ones that you haven't paid who still say it Oh, anyway. okay, right. There, there are ones. Okay. <laughs> but I think it is because you have got that ability to just to be able to, to listen and just, I don't know necessarily if it's ever difficult for you, if you ever think to yourself, oh, I feel like I should for the job or if you want to emotionally, 
Because um, I know even for me, there was a point at the Hampton Court concourse. Oh, we um, sat outside Hampton Court, didn't yeah, we? Yeah, so I was sat on the floor. Looking like a couple of beggars, didn't we? <laughs> we <I'm did>. Expecting <laughs> Henry VIII coming and cart us off to the it. dungeon. We was, yeah, I was sat outside the gates. L- literally, I was. it was after the first day of shooting it and I was tired and I was ready to not really speak to anybody. And I was waiting for Will to come and pick me up. And there's that blooming vicar trying to talk but the, to me. The, but what's weird is that, you know, even if even though I kind of, I'm, I'm not, weirdly enough, I can be a very unsociable person. So yeah. even if I want to be on my own, when you kind of came over and I just started talking to you about everything and about, you know, I, I think I welled up at the time because I was, I was going through, Will and I just started the workshop. It's yeah. like a high, high stress situation. Yeah. And just being able to talk to you, like I could well up now thinking about it because that meant so much to me that you even asked me. And I didn't mean to start talking to you about it. You just have this way that you just, people that do meet you and talk to you. In the car world, for a start, we just feel like we can talk to you, just somebody that just... I've got this natural ability to be like, hey, suddenly someone's like, I'm having a really bad day and I need to, or I've had this amazing thing happen and stuff. So I don't know. I, yeah, I think it, I'm not, just so that everybody out there knows I'm not perfect. Just ask my wife, she'll tell you that. Um, <laughs> no, I think, I think it's just being able to listen and having the time to listen. And, and I don't think that that's something that, that's peculiar to me. I think there are lots of, us out there and, and in the car world who, who can do it. Um, I think um, I think we spend so much time in life not actually listening to each other, really listening and really trying to put ourselves in somebody else's situation. And I'm exactly the same. I really am. I'm the world's grumpiest driver, my wife will tell you, and <laughs> the most self-righteous driver. Um, and it you know, uh, but one of the things I see, you know, whether you believe in Jesus or not, but one of the things I see in him, and you, you kind of have to understand a bit about the, the society of the day with its rules and regulations, which is totally different to our society now. But he just sat with people and listened to them and entered into their world where they were at. It didn't matter who they were. And some of them were really not very nice people by the standards of the day. And he just kind of took them as they were. And for me, that's a massive example. Um, because we, we live in a world where it's so easy to make judgments about people. And we all do it, mm. you know, me included. And we're quick to judge people by what they wear, what they drive, um, you know, what camera they use. Um, <laughs> I, I'm terrible. Nikon, I'm, I'm a real Nikon snob, me. Um, <laughs> you know, but... Um, yeah, right one. Um, but, but, but we all do it. You know, there's, there's, there's no getting around it. Um, and yet, I read the kind of stories of Jesus, and he was chatting to all kinds of people. You'd think, no, mate, what are you doing? Mm. Um, and treated them just as people, as humans. You know, some who'd made some pretty dodgy life choices, but humans nonetheless. And I think that there's something... I'm not saying you were making a dodgy life <laughs> choice. Let's just clarify that. But I think there's something about that. And I think there's something about, you know... If I, if I feel a sense of calling, it's to walk alongside people through the good and the bad of their life. Um, and if there are cars involved, better, even better, you know. Um, and so I think it, it's just, you know, that, that, that's just what I kind of feel is, is part of what I need to be and what I need to, to do. Um, but I think I'm not, you know, no way am I unique in doing that. Lots of people do it and there are some great... You know, as I say, the people I've met in the last, particularly the last two years with doing Revs Limiter, some amazing people and mm. some absolutely, 
Um, I will just give a shout out to one person who sadly has just recently passed away. But he was a guy who um, uh, used to come to our Red Shrewsbury group. And he was just the loveliest bloke. He was 89. Loveliest bloke. He had an Austin 7, an Austin 12. And he was the most unassuming chap. But he'd done the most amazing things. He'd driven to the Outer Hebrides oh, wow. in his Austin 12 <laughs> at kind of like 40 miles an hour all the way. Wow. You know, and it's just been staggering getting to know him. Mm. And it, you know, and he's not somebody who'd kind of pushed himself forward or, you know, but just very quietly got on with life mm. and did some amazing stuff. And, um, and I love all that. And which is why I love stories. Mm. And I think for Revs, one of our biggest things is about is about stories, people's stories, and not necessarily the most obvious ones. Mm. So, Would you say your ability in being that listener or that person that walks alongside has improved since you've become a vicar? Or can you recall times of being a car designer where if somebody else in the studio went, do you know what, I'm actually having a rough time. Did you feel that same level of, I want to listen, I want to help? I think it, the... the, the, the the vision behind it or the calling that about the calling that I feel to be that has grown or has become clearer, mm-hmm. I think, since I've been training, since I've I think there's there's a there's a natural thing in me that loves hearing stories. I'm fascinated. Mm-hmm. I read history a lot. I'm fascinated by people's stories, fascinated by kind of eyewitness accounts. I've just been reading a whole load of stuff about the nineteen thirty silver arrows. Um, oh, lovely, Audi yeah. and uh, Auto Union and yeah. Mercedes, but what I particularly love are the accounts of people who were there, mm. and it's just some fascinating things. And I, so I love all that. Mm. I think what being a vicar's done is it's kind of focused it and and honed it a little, yeah, um, to the point where now we've got some kind of future plans for revs that are very much stem from from this kind of sense of calling, this sense of listening to people's stories and stuff. I suppose that was going to be my, my last question yeah. of what is next. Where do you think you will what now point your, your efforts to? Because you have done so much already. I mean, even just uh, November, I think it would have been, you've just won the RAC's Personality Award as well. So you're being... Again, uh, lots of money had to change that. <laughs> no, no, no. no. Um. And it's ama- it is truly wonderful what you have achieved so far. So... I suppose to know what you kind of are thinking about doing next, I just I, I just think it's going to be something that everybody's going to want to be involved in. Um, firstly, it's not just me. And I know people say that. It's not just me, really. <laughs> but, but it is. No, um, it isn't. You know, because Revs Limited wouldn't have happened, A, without a, a core group of people who, who got behind it and said, yes, we'll make it happen. And there were lots of people that did. But also everybody that contributed a video, you know, yourself, mm. others, you know, whether it was Paul Cowland and, and Mike Brewer or um, Jimmy DeVille or, or, or Charlotte Rowden or whether it was Fred Bloggs in his garage with his Mini, mm. you know, everybody who's done something has made it what it is. And so it isn't actually about one person. And I know that I might be the face of it, but actually um, it's not. It, it, there's a whole group of people that would... That, that would make it happen and to that end that's one of the things that we are so we're going to we're currently in the process of possibly becoming what's called a community interest company so we're going to be a non-for-profit organization um that will 
um, develop and grow both the online and the small group platforms that we've got. Um, and particularly, um, it will allow people, if they want to, to help fund us. Um, although our content will still be free all the time, we're not going to charge for any content. So that's that's one thing we're going to be doing in, in this year, really. Um, partly because it then it gives us a kind of level of accountability and um, a structure. We'll have a, a group of directors, you know, so it'll all be... So if people want to kind of collaborate with us, they know that we've got checks and balances in place, you know, and it's not just some weirdo in an office in Shrewsbury. <laughs> I mean, it is as well. But. And the other thing that I'm really, really wanting to do, I mean, we've just started doing our classic car tour. We did our first pilgrim tour last year. We're doing another one in September. Um, so um, we're introducing people to the idea of using your car on a pilgrimage, whether you have a faith or whether you don't, but actually... You know, the idea of pilgrimage being stepping out of the busyness of life and evaluating where you are as you take some time out and go away and you are inspired by amazing scenery amongst other things. So um, we're doing that again. That's that's already starting to book up. But the thing I really want to do is I want to buy a Revs project vehicle and um, we want to basically invite people to come and spend weekends with us mm-hmm. working on the vehicle. And then we'll, in the evenings, we'll talk about mental health stuff and we'll get some people to share their mental health stories. And it's just a way of kind of encouraging community and and particularly for some people, talking about where they're at in life is so much easier when they're kind of doing something. Yes. Mm-hmm. So, so we want to buy a project vehicle and then what we'd really love to do is keep the project vehicle once it was kind of road legal. We're not talking concours, road legal. <laughs> but then to hire it out to people and say, go and take it to a show. Mm. Go and enjoy that whole process of having a vehicle that you can talk about, that you've maybe had a hand in working on, and get that kind of mental health buzz of actually standing in a field and saying, well, this is our car. Mm. you know, and, and maybe there's a small fee for the weekend, but you do that. Um, and um, so that we can kind of basically lend this car out to people particularly people who've never had a car to go to a show in or never had that experience or have always thought that it was not for them yeah. or that they couldn't, you know, they wouldn't be accepted. You know, hopefully with a bit of sponsorship, if we can find it, we can get a car, we can work on it and we can get it to a point where people can then go off and enjoy it and use it and 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 go and kind of experience some of the, the joy of doing that that we all experience in our love of cars. So that's that's probably one of the big things we're looking at. Please, 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 could it be a cheap Rolls Royce? <laughs> I wish. Oh, I wish. you know how you can get Phantoms for like eight grand now? I know I know somebody's got one, but <laughs> the, the repair bills are probably double that, <laughs> yeah. you know, with things like air suspension and what have you. Yeah, yeah it's true. a bit of a, a bit of a nightmare. But again, it's yeah, I love that idea, that idea of getting a, a group of people together where they can talk openly about mental health, they can talk about their struggles, what's what's made them happy, what's made them sad. And you're right. And again, it comes back to that that famous quote, cars are the catalyst. Yeah. When you've got in fact, so week previous to this, I did a recording with Jim Cameron, Mission Motorsport, yeah, yeah, yeah. a few weeks back. That is last week's episode. So out now by the time you're listening to this. And Jim gave a great comment 
where he said, if you try and get two blokes to talk about their mental health together, they'll struggle. However, give them both a fishing rod and they'll talk all day. Yeah. <laughs> and it's so true. If you do the same, you know, I do this. I'm, I'm part of a great group of friends where we just tinker with cars. We all drive on track days together. And of course, the, the culture of driving on track days often means you're fixing things quite a lot. Yes. <laughs> and we'll all muck in and help each other. You know, yeah. a Saturday morning, a typical Saturday morning is... Something will pop up in the car WhatsApp group going, anyone able to give me a hand swapping a suspension strut on an L322 Range Rover? And it's like, yeah, okay, cool. And we'll all muck in. Yeah. And the conversations that you end up having, just mucking about with cars, yeah. just taking rubbish parts off and putting slightly less rubbish parts back <laughs> on. It's, it is absolutely fascinating. So I think that that's going to be such a powerful activity. Yeah, I mean, we're, we're at the very early stages where it's an idea in my head which mm. I've broached with a few people who've gone yeah that sounds good count me in <laughs> but that's as far as we are at the moment obviously we're looking for vehicles we're looking we are looking for sponsors you know yeah. revs has no money so we've we've got to to go cap in hand but um but I think that that even if you're somebody who's a really well qualified grease monkey mm. and you're going to go and help somebody else work on something who's never done something like that before you stand to gain because yeah. it's sharing your skills the person who's learning from you stands to gain mm -hmm. and if there's a relationship there and there's a conversation that starts and it goes from right you need a 7 16 spanner on that to um don't let the vicar cross thread it to <laughs> actually how are you doing this week yeah, and yeah. how's work going and somebody feels safe enough to go do you know what actually mm. i've had a really difficult week and i just need somebody to listen um you know there's something there's, there's there's gold dust there. Yeah. And Absolutely. yeah. So. so if there's anyone listening that's thinking, I either want to get involved or I might I've got be a Rolls Royce Phantom in the garage that we I all want to work for on. Years, so that can go to a good home. Where are they reaching out to? Um, they can grab us at um, uh, our email address, which is just simply revslimiter at gmail.com. Um, but even if you just want to come and get involved yeah. or you want to become, you know, we don't have a club. We're not a club in the sense that we have a club membership or anything like that. We're a community. Mm -hmm. um, so we're a lot more fluid. But, but uh, yeah, I mean, come and get involved. If you've got ideas about what we could do, you know, we'd love to hear those as well. Mm. If we wanted to go to one of the, the meets that you do. Like, Small groups, like yeah. The, like Wellsbourne one, for example. Yeah, yeah. Where would you find so out? So Revs Wellsbourne meets just outside Wellsbourne Airport. Mm -hmm. Um, on the car park that's next to the cafe and the airport. Mm -hmm. um, and um, they meet on the first Saturday of the month, first Sunday of the month, sorry, I have to remember this. <laughs> and then there's one in Enville, which is um, just outside Stourbridge. That's on the second Saturday. And then Rev Shrewsbury's on the third Saturday. The third Sunday, sorry. Third <laughs> Sunday. Um, but, um, but yeah, they could... Oh, they can always go to um, the Revs Limiter Facebook group and Got it. and find it there. And they are very small, you know. They're not. This is not Goodwood Breakfast Club. It's not uh, Caffeine Machine on a Saturday morning. Much as I love those places, and mm -hmm. I do, this is very small. It's very grassroots, um, but actually, it's still incredibly valuable for people and and great great little groups in their own right. Mm. And we do have tens of thousands of listeners from elsewhere in the world. So for those that can't perhaps make it to a little village in the Midlands of, of England, yeah. um, there are things like the Facebook group, aren't there? There's the Facebook group. We've got a YouTube channel now as well. So we're putting on some of the content that we have done over the last two years or people have done with their agreement. We've put it on the YouTube channel. Um, 
I'm learning the dark arts of film editing at the moment. Mm -hmm. To um, and we want to produce more online content for people who can't, you know, yeah. be there. And also because there are some people out there who aren't in car magazines but have got some amazing stories. Yes. Yeah. So we had a guy recently who woke up one morning and went, I've, I can't build any more um, vintage river craft like he was doing, so I'll build a boat body on a car. <laughs> and he built a pre-war Packard, he got a pre-war Packard chassis from America, put this stunning wooden boat tail body on it that he made himself wow. in his shed and then showed it at London Concourse mm. a couple of years ago. Um, so we, we there's a film about him that we shot. I say shot. It sounds all very um, inc impressive. It's me with an iPhone and a, <laughs> and a microphone. Um, so um, yeah, it's not kind of high production values. Sorry, folks. Um, but but yeah, incredible people. So we want to keep doing that too. Fantastic. Cool. And then before we end, I'm referring back to my notepad of sketches. Some of it you can see will follows the lines, and some of it just goes diagonally. Yeah. And some of it gets circled and written sideways and outside the borders. So two things that you've said in uh, in this podcast that I want to pick up on. Um, first one was fairly early on where you said uh, you gave a lovely quote about um, the journey of how you got there is more important than the end result. Yeah. Now, I'd like to kind of pay that towards you because, of course, you're still on a journey. Yeah. You know, we none of us in this room and none of none of us listening at home are at the end of our journey. We're all, be that a career, be that a lifestyle, be that anything in life that you are working towards, you're still on that journey and it can mm. become so easy to become critical of what you're doing right now or what you might have done a while ago, but you can't be critical about what you haven't done yet. Mm. And I think it's so important that people remember that. And as I say, I want that, I really want that to be a credit to you, Adam, because of course you are, you're doing very, very, very good things. Um, religion aside, it just the the world of just bringing people together in a community, I think, is such a fantastic thing, and I, I yeah, can't give you enough credit for that. I think it's just Thank absolutely you. fantastic. Um, the other thing you said, of course, was that you paid reference to uh, being interviewed. I can't remember the journalist now. The journal Dickie Meaden. Dickie Meaden, yeah, right? Meaden, yeah. Of course, um, Dickie Meaden, who is who is a huge name, of course, in the journalism world, and saying how. Yeah, it was bizarre being interviewed by him. Well, look, you're here on our podcast. For I know. Reason. We specifically I've made the hallowed ground of, of, of um, Binley Business Park. <laughs> we specifically wanted you to come on. Before you recorded with us, you've been name-checked on various recordings. Jimmy DeVille name-checked you. Lewis Warren name-checked you. Uh, Jim Cameron name-checked you. So, it, you know, you are one of the figures in this community, this wonderful community of car people here in the UK where your name crops up all the time. And that definitely means something good. Right. Okay. <laughs> Glad yes. you said that. Yeah, I thought I'd, I'd squeeze that in. Um, but yeah, I, I think it's absolutely fantastic. I think the work that you're doing is fantastic. And I'd love anyone that's listening that, that perhaps has a little light bulb turned on um, be you whether you're religious or not religious or just not sure um, or going through that wonderful period of I am I'm not maybe I am don't know uh, just to kind of get involved and yeah. not, not to be afraid of getting involved uh, regardless of your faith or or no faith um, so yeah do go and check out you are on Instagram as Revs Limiter yeah I am I am yeah and Twitter as well Twitter and um, and obviously Facebook yeah so um, yeah a real kind of social media junkie <laughs> but with beautiful drawings and that you that you show off all the time yeah no that's that's the nice bit really you kind of sit there and with a biro and a 
pastel and off, and off I go. Yeah. <laughs> That's a point we haven't really spoken about the drawings because they are absolutely mm-hmm. incredible. But trying to describe, yeah, it's a bit difficult, isn't it? <laughs> draw, you know, draw something for us, and we will try and describe it. Yeah. In, um... So the, the the easiest thing to do is is just to invite you to go to. Adam's Instagram feed and actually have a look because and if um, people go to things like Goodwood or whatever you'll usually find me sat cross-legged on the floor um, in front of some car I think I've got loads of photographs of you sitting cross-legged in various (laughs) places around automotive events that sounds quite scary doesn't it she's got loads of photographs um, I think I mean I guess it's my last thing you know I just love the chill out that that is I went to the um, members meeting recently which is the I really like members meeting because it's less frenetic than everything else. And and I just sat for two days not being the rev, but just being a bloke with some pencils and, and an old car. And, um, and it, oh, it was wonderful. Really, really good. So, yeah, no, lovely. Fantastic. Well, thank you. No, thank you. Thank you so much thank for you very much. taking your time to sit with us. Amy, thank you as ever. Thank you. Thank you very, thank you, very much, Adam. I really appreciate you coming in. Nice okay. camera. Thanks a lot. Yeah, nice camera. <laughs> Nick on, just in case. Yeah, yeah. Anybody listening. (laughs) Uh, If you, the listener, would like to uh, engage with us, please do. You can do so by writing to us in all the usual fashions. We have our email address, which is podcast at drivenchat.com. We also have our brand new, ever-evolving website, drivenchat.com, which is slowly but surely uh, collating all of the creative things that we do both from photos taken by Amy to videos we've filmed to articles we've written. Every single episode of the podcast is there on the website as well. So you can scroll back there and have a look at every single person that we've ever spoken to. Uh, And of course, there is a way to get in contact with us there as well. Alternatively, you can slip into our DMs via at Driven Chat, both on Twitter and on Instagram and on Facebook and on YouTube and wherever you want. So yeah, feel free to say hi, get in touch. We do read every single message. Um, And if I haven't replied... I will. See I just, Amy. Yes. Yeah, yeah. No, I am awful at any, any emails and <laughs> messages. Do not. I'll just refer you back to John. <laughs> I have emails that I forward myself from myself because I still haven't replied to people. So if you're one of those people at home listening, you are a priority, yeah. I promise. I'm going to reply you're to not in his junk box. Really. Yeah, no, that's it. That's it. Um, thank you so much for listening. We will be back with you um, in seven days with a whole new episode. Thank you and goodbye. Thank you, bye. Goodbye. The Driven Chat Podcast in association with Paramex Digital. You dream it, we bring it to life. Find out more at drivenchat.com. Before Shopify, were you wondering, where are my sales at? Now you're selling with Shopify, the global commerce platform supercharging your selling. You have no problem selling online, in person, on social media, and beyond. Gary, easy on the cha-ching. Oh, sorry, but my Shopify sales are through the roof. Start selling with Shopify today and discover how millions of businesses around the world use Shopify to ignite their selling. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. Shopify.com slash listen.